0: own core disk or yes all right um can you tell me a little bit about that like what was the mindset going in or I guess the idea going in what made you develop core disk uh
1: it started with simple curiosity uh i've been fascinated by mathematics pretty much my entire life uh and never really connected to what it would like to be an actual mathematician. Uh, I wound up going into engineering and then computers. And in in doing computer work, I learned about computational math, which I became very fascinated by. And then that became a professional development thing for me. Uh, But I had some money and no career prospects at the company I was working for. So I decided to quit and spend some time just exploring the space of computational mathematics to see if I could come up with anything of interest. Uh, So while I was doing that, I found this approach that allows you to do something called pricing transaction costs. Um, To nutshell that, uh, economists are well aware that markets are essentially the most efficient sort of economic deciders that exist. However, everyone is aware that literally every decision isn't made by a marketplace. And so economics needs to explain this fact, because if marketplaces are the best economic decision makers that can exist, then there needs to be some reason we don't use them for everything. Um, That's, That's a fair point. So, The answer is transaction costs, that there are costs imposed by using the market mechanism itself. Uh, And transaction costs are uh, sort of very blatant things like fees that you might have to pay to New York Stock Exchange to use their services or a broker. But there are also more ephemeral things like the amount of time it would take you to actually look at the stock tickers of every single, you know, market of interest to you constantly, which isn't consciously possible for humans anymore because the tickers move too quickly. Yeah. Um, economists are very comfortable with lumping together a bunch of things into this concept called cost, which aren't measurable and consequently leaving with costs that exist, but are sort of philosophical, in in some sense uh and transaction costs are sort of well and truly into this category and so the notion is that um well sort of obviously um say ceos could be replaced by a bunch of different markets that that were working out all of their decision making in because the transaction costs of these thousands and thousands of marketplaces that would sort of integrate an entire human experience, um, would each be positive. The total cost of all of them is dwarfed by this guy who actually makes the decisions, even though he makes bad decisions compared to these, you know, godlike marketplaces that, yeah. that would would exist. Um and so that's the that's basically the fudge that the transaction costs exist we don't know how big they are in general but um but that's what gums up the works and main, means that we have important people because otherwise we just have markets and we wouldn't have important people yeah. um so this approach allows you to price transaction costs now price is it's what you see on the store shelf, you know, you go up and you're like, Oh, this, this tuna is a a buck 50. It doesn't cost a buck 50 because cost has all that other crap in it and opportunity and and other stuff. And it changes from person to person, but the number on the can, you know, that's, that's the price. Um, the advantage of being able to price a cost, be able to actually sort of write it down and and fix it. uh, Is is considerable if the current situation is inefficient in some way. Um, So if what's going on isn't being subject to sort of market forces to make it an efficient system, uh, then then monopoly practices and other things can can impose and sort of make things less economically gainful as 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 they could potentially be. And in that case, being able to just sort of stick a number on the can, that's a better number has a, a, a big social value. And so I was I was just sort of doing all of this as this intellectual exercise to see if I could. Um, and then I started doing historical research to see if, you know, like this is this is this is different than than what we're doing right now. So maybe somebody had this idea before and figured out something that didn't work or or something else. So I was doing historical research and what I discovered is that one, this is new nobody's done this before. But two, um, the existing marketplaces uh, have changed, not their rules, but their character of behavior in the age of computers. Uh, so while the markets still function the same way that they did 30 years ago, or 300 years ago. Um, and they're sort of, you can think of them as Sort of tugs of war, uh, where you know buyers and sellers are kind of trying to pull the price back and forth. Yeah. The what that's a that's 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 the simple view of the market. The sort of second stage view of the market, which isn't really encouraged for people to think about, is that there's actually professional sort of uh, rope pullers that will like will will funds. sit in the middle and they'll when you show up the person you're playing tug of war with is one of those guys yeah you know uh, that kind sort of, of like, uh
0: that would be like the explanation for the whole GameStop craze how hedge funds were the ones uh, pulling so
1: yeah yeah so that was that was an issue where uh, the GameStop happened because thanks to social media and the and and the Robin Hood gamification of, of the system and you know hundreds of thousands of of you know, Xbox addicts deciding to just play Wall Street instead. Um, basically, these guys who were sort of used to some rube coming up and and trying their luck and getting getting a face full of dirt, like five hundred thousand rubes showed up yeah. at exactly the same time, and yeah, none of those people could conceivably win a tug of war with with one of these guys, but. You know, it's it, it's like uh, I saw Annie did this thing where they had like four of the guys who did strongman going out to do like feats of strength and like following their lives and stuff like that. And there's an episode where they're at like a elementary school and they're doing a tug of war, and it's like 50 kids, yeah. and the kids crush them because you know 50 kids weigh like three tons and and they're they're very strong guys, but they weigh like four hundred pounds. And it's just it's nothing. Like um so yeah, basically that's what happened to them. Uh, but the the issue that's that's come up, the reason why they were sort of in that position to to sort of usually bully people and kick sand interfaces is that computers have been much, much more useful to the insiders than they have been to the outsiders. And so the total financial sort of market space has been growing as a fraction of the economy. Um, and while things like GameStop, particularly if, if they get some sort of legs and become more and more common might conceivably change that in fact what if you think about it what they really do is just feeding in larger and larger obsession with with playing this this type of war game and at the end of the day that that game is completely pointless the the value proposition of the marketplace is accurate information and so the the cost of the market is actually related to how much of this unpredictable volatility happens um, and so as computers are now making it easier to inject unpredictable volatility in the marketplaces, what we're seeing is that the profits for operating the marketplace are going up at the same time that the actual value of the markets are going down. Oh. Um, and that's, that's what really kicked me into gear for doing this because that's, that's a severe problem. Like we. We actually operate our economy off this, we actually live off of our economy, if if our markets decline in functionality, there's some level at which our economy doesn't really function anymore. Yeah. And and then it's very, very bad.
0: Yeah. Um so do you think with the whole pandemic happening, did that change anything considering the fact that it is based off of the economic performance? Or is it still the same situation throughout?
1: Um, So the the pandemic, uh, I don't think changes the the structural problems that are involved. Um, What what I see happening with the pandemic is the normalization of large social change is just sort of further destabilizing the issues that are already at hand all right so i've I've said this before i'm sure i'll say it again computers are a bigger deal than steam engines and you would be hard pressed to find an institution that exists in its present form from before steam engines there are a handful that, that that are still around universities fundamentally operate about the same way that they used to like 600 years ago. Um, but newspapers don't, um, and, and, uh, you know, governments don't and so on and so on, you know, you, you, you move around, uh, so we should expect that since we have computer technology, our institutions are going to be destabilized in various ways. And in particular, marketplaces um, have a simple argument for that stabilization. Um, essentially, that tug of war system um, operated off of the, the principle that since sort of other people could come in and and join the tug of war that people trying to manipulate the market by sort of going too far off the reservation, um, would gather up opposition on the other side. And, and because humans are, you know, smart, successful market participating humans are roughly as smart and successful and rich as each other a few of them moving around would would sort of recalibrate and rebalance the marketplace that the marketplace as a whole could essentially move faster than any individual participant in the market. And so if you ever tried to get tricky or, or, or whatever, eventually you'd get tripped up by this, this sort of centering effect of, of the rest of them. Yeah. But computers operate at the speed of their mechanism. And so with the marketplace operating on the computer, um, it operates at a fixed clock speed. And so now the, everyone can essentially operate at exactly the same speed that the entire marketplace operates at, which means that that moderating mechanism that has allowed existing markets to function for 800 years since the Renaissance, um, has been broken since, call it, 1988. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's nice that we're all still here and have an economy, uh, but that, that kind of social inertia to keep the system working in spite of the fact that the mechanisms that cause it to work simply don't exist, um, that's going to phase out. And things like the pandemic causing large fractions of the population to discard their attachments to normal, whatever the social norms are, is going to accelerate that. And we saw GameStop, you know, a a large part of that is sort of leadership in the the stonks community or whatever uh, coming up. But the larger part of that is the fact that global networking and, and this sort of drive towards cheaper access plus producing tens of millions of, of bored, you know, pre adults, (laughs) even if they're in their thirties that that have nothing better to do than to engage with these types of mechanisms. Um, And and that's a pressure. uh, You know, if. If these sorts of things had existed in, say, 1950, and had gone in on the marketplaces of those days, they would not be able to coordinate because the freedom, freedom of access that that's been produced as part of computerization wouldn't be there. And so it it would be a much more expensive process. And most of those people have been set set aside, but (coughs) we got to where we are and now we we, we're going to have to figure out how to live with it.
0: Yeah. Um, So even if you're helping the economy, um, do you ever fear that, you know, with what you find might be shot down because, um, even though there is, you know, misalignments within the market, it's still controlled heavily by those who have the power within the market. So,
1: well, my primary concern at this point is starting up rather than getting shot down. Yeah. Um, I actually don't worry extensively about getting shut down. Um, so there's, there's something called Gresham's law, uh, that essentially when, when, a thing is in the, in the personal interests of a large fraction of an economy, it, it essentially happens, whether you whether anybody wants it to or not, Yeah. because at the end of the day, it's all of our individual choices. And so if most people's individual choices sort of work in one direction, then that's just what happens. Um, and actually, the existing market structure is a strong indicator of this. Um, we do not know who invented or if indeed our existing market structure was invented. It's, it's largely, uh, written up in the history books as an accident, uh, caused by certain sort of intersection of chalkboards and Northern Italian culture. Um, that people were sort of getting together in these, you know, cafes, uh, and, and the businessmen, the like cloth factors or spice factors were all getting together in one place and just, you know, being Italian and discussing their business at the top of their lungs and writing up the, 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 what was getting done. And that was sort of the initial stock ticker. Um, and something to bear in mind is that this is, you know, 1200s Northern Italy. Uh, sure they used to be Rome you know a millennia before that but these guys are in the Dark Ages Uh, the Eastern Roman Empire is the capital of the world Constantinople uh, which is now Istanbul uh, lies at the Bosphorus which is the choke point between the Black Sea and the Mediterranean Um, Napoleon called it the capital of the world it's it's the most strategic spot on earth uh and and they are ruling over what is now turkey and and greece um basically and they're running the economy of the mediterranean because anybody that wants to ship you know furs from russia or or whatever back and forth to to you know the everywhere else on earth uh, has to go right through them and pay their taxes and so on yeah And so these guys, um, you know, come up with this plan of, of going out to eat lunch and discussing your business in public, and that becomes the best marketplace in the world. And the economy of the Mediterranean switches from this thing that's got you know, political history that goes all the way back to the Caesars, uh, vast military power, vast economic power, a massively better, like, location. You know, nobody has to go through northern Italy to get to anywhere. Like, to go north from there, you go, it's the Alps, like, that's, you're done. Um, But this the economic center of gravity of Mediterranean shifts from you know where it's been for the last 500 years to these these guys and they get hugely wealthy and start paying off artists to make all that cool stuff that you can go look at these days uh and and develop culture and architecture and you know all that cool stuff um and they didn't have armies you know they didn't have propaganda. They didn't have anything. They just had a functioning marketplace and hundreds of cultures all across the Mediterranean that, you know, each, each boat driver that wants a better market has a choice and they can go to the capital of the world, or they can go to Florence and Florence has better prices. And so they go to Florence more and more often. Um, and this story has been repeated a couple of different times uh, uh, as other factors have caused uh, these markets to be run even more effectively in other locations. And and so people who were on the economic top just sort of got their rug pulled out from under them. So I have no reason not to expect uh, a similar sort of experience if I can get past this you know explanation startup phase yeah uh that that this this really is significantly more effective and so people who people who want to be rich will use it and people who don't want to be rich they're not very economically important
0: yeah um do you so the stage that you're at with the startup is basically building out the explanation and kind of, I guess, pitching it so to So that Menises. and
1: IP, um, uh, there's been a long process of dealing with patent office, uh, which has had its, its downs and it's further downs and its occasional flashes of, of, of hope. Yeah. Um, that's a very slow and very frustrating, uh, process. But how
0: how long has your patent been pending?
1: Um, so the, the initial provisional patent was June, 2016. Um, that gives you a provisional patent, gives you a year to make a full patent application and allows you to start talking about it. Um, it, uh, I, I sort of needed the time to be able to talk about it, to look for an attorney that could actually write up. The, 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 patent, you know, I sort of, I had a white paper, but, um, the, the language and sort of what the, the key parts of it are like, that's not my expertise. And, and the attorneys, the attorneys that could sort of read the white paper are few and far between. So, um, I kind of got the patent in by the skin of my teeth, but you, you chew up, uh, like three years just off the top, um, in just delays yeah. from the patent office. Um, it's just, that's, that's how long it takes them to have your first office action. Wow.
0: Um, Is. so would this be like, uh, so like cord, um uh, cord disc, would that be a, do you think it'd be a, I guess, I know it's going into the economy, but do you think it would be segmented into different, you know, securities that run the economy, or do you think it would be when, when the time gets there, do you think it'd be naturally implemented to every security that runs our economy?
1: Um, I expect it would go one by one. Uh, and I'm, I'm focusing on commodities initially, uh, with, with looking for commodities that are presently underserved. Um. Some, some commodities uh, like have sort of suddenly become important, like lithium and cobalt, for example, have no marketplace attached to them. Uh, but we now find them very economically useful. Uh, some efforts have been made to create markets that uh, haven't gone particularly well. Um, it's, it's difficult to establish new markets. And, and the key thing is getting a critical mass of deal flow uh, attached. Um, this, 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 uh, CDM model of mine has a lower sort of cost of, of transaction to become viable. Um, but it's still pretty considerable in sort of individual terms. And so, um, it would be more viable to launch a marketplace using a CDM technology than trying to get one going the existings. Um, but yeah trying to work up through those sorts of proof of concept to proof of use to, to other stage. But that said, while every market is individual and has certain idiosyncrasies at the end of the day, 99.99% of how you trade oil and how you trade Microsoft yeah. is exactly the same. Yeah. Um, and so if, there's a different trading paradigm that works for you know cotton than coal and corn and and you know everyone else is going to look at that and say hey why can't I get better margins better prices all right um so
0: as you know i would consider you an entrepreneur since you know you're building own thing so at the stage that you're at now what are some tips that you would give a let's say uh hypothetically a younger you that you know now what would you tell your younger self
1: um well for entrepreneurs uh i can't stress enough not to do it not to do sort of any of the things i'm doing um uh if you're if if what you're driven to do is build a business that's actually what you should be focusing on Um, this, I'm, I'm, I'm on a different kind of mission. It's still entrepreneurial at its base, uh, particularly because that's sort of how our culture is, is structured. Um, but, uh, I'm not trying to build a business. I'm trying to, to bring a specific thing into the world. Um, and, and that's very hard. Um, there's a, there's a movie called the zero effect, which isn't that great, but has some, some chuckle worthy moments uh, where Bill Pullman plays uh, this super detective who's in his regular life, totally socially dysfunctional. And he's got voiceover for explaining a lot of the stuff that he's doing. And one of his things is uh, notes on looking for things Uh, if you go looking for something specific, your chances of finding it are very, very bad. But if you go looking for anything at all, your chances of finding something are very, very good. Um, and, and an entrepreneur driven to entrepreneurship should really embrace that. Just, just go looking, um, and, and take advantage of the discoveries that, that you come across. which in in sort of my mathematical uh and, and computational that is very much where where i stand um you know i try to solve the problems that that i encounter in my in my professional career yeah. i don't go looking for problems it's just yeah. one particular case of me deciding to go looking for problems and then kicking over this particular rock and finding this particular gold mine
0: yeah um so this this might be a random question but i know i understand that you have the mathematical background so for your own personal investments do you heavily focus on like i guess a fundamental analysis and those math uh the mathematics that you can use in that or are you more driven by um actually i don't know the second part of that question i don't know how to
1: well so in terms of the marketplace with with sort of what i've studied i can't conscious in good conscience engage with it at all um the the fact that it is has that fundamental brokenness and there's some other more esoteric but in my mind even more severe problems um uh i can't really view it as anything other than a lottery system at this point point. and oh, while it is a lottery system that has a fairly positive payoff um right now there there are very few positive roles available to to people in that space and and i'm not interested in any of the negative roles, so i i just stay away
0: i gotcha um so this is a very Gen X question but what do you think about nfts and cryptocurrencies
1: (laughs) so I, I had a discussion um a little while ago on exactly that that subject um actually I've had a couple so I think crypto is a technical achievement that's that's pretty impressive um I think it's socially misguided. I think they're solving a problem that's worth solving, but isn't as important or fundamental as its its proponents believe. So, uh-huh. the foundational concept behind a cri- crypto in general is that currency should be sound. It's it's basically the the, the gold standard people, but. Um, trying to go for sort of the convenience of a digital space uh, and and sort of maybe that the uncorruptibility of the digital space and while sound currency has an excellent historical track record and and I think we'd be much better off with it today um, the problems that I see with our existing financial system are, rooted in these other issues I was talking about with computerization and so those issues are I would argue more important and persistent so even if crypto was broadly adopted or we moved to a for real gold standard or the printing presses were simply stopped and like the American dollar was completely stabilized, they, you know, there's a lot of different ways that could somehow suddenly have a sound currency in, in, you know, fantasy land. So one of them happens, we just suddenly have a sound currency. We still have these foundationally unsound marketplaces because computers exist. So the, that's a bigger problem basically. Um, so, uh, it, it it's it's like putting an, a Formula One fuel injector in your like you know beater from from 15 years ago. Sure, maybe it would improve improve things a little bit, but on the other hand, because it's completely incompatible, maybe it'll just blow the car up. Um, you know the it, the the problem with the beater is that, you know, the body is 20% rust and and the doors are falling off, not that the fuel injector isn't 0.01% more, more efficient. Um, so, so that's, that's about where I am there. NFTs, um, are also a really interesting technological feat, um, that they are they have no discernible supporting social structure of any kind at this point. Um, so there are, there are a lot of problems that we might be able to fix with these, particularly if, uh, if we could evolve the crypto to the point where we were algorithmically agnostic so that we can survive hashing function destruction which is inevitable and currently we can't do um and also they were energy efficient which they in a practical sense are not at this time so there are there are some major technical hills to climb remaining for the crypto people there are some significantly more major social cultural and political hills for them to climb and then there's a vast set of problems that they do not address. Yeah. Uh, but there are a handful of, uh, of initiatives, um, with things like supply chain tracking for food and so on that, that exist in, in various stages from entrepreneurial in, around the world to, to fairly developed ones in this country, um, that, that have, definitely have some promise and the the core concept of uncorruptibility as a value is i'm pretty sure going to be fairly important in in a computer age because garbage in garbage out isn't just a saying um it's 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 foundational to how the computers work uh and so so a A move towards lower or even non-existent corruption, um, I think is probably necessary uh, as part of a functioning computational society.
0: All right. Um, So another random question. Do you think inflation is going to continue driving up as it just hit 7.5, which was the fastest in 40 some years?
1: I can't see any reason why it wouldn't. Um, Fair enough. The, 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 we, we, we pumped an enormous amount of cash into the economy uh, for no productive effort in order to enable the, the coronavirus lockdown. Yeah. Because otherwise most people would starve to death. Um, there's no existing mechanism um, to reverse the pump on that if you will. Yeah. Uh, so I was, I was alive back in the seventies and early, like, you know, when we keep going back to th- this new record since yeah. I was alive at those times, I wasn't particularly old, but I'm definitely aware of like what prices were on television advertisements and so on yeah. at the time. Um, at that time, the fed chairman, uh, essentially, put the entire financial system into a chokehold, yeah. and simply declared that bond rates would be, you know, up in the high teens. Uh, current bond rates are nothing yeah. effectively. Yeah. Um, now the Fed has the power to do that. Um, doing that, we could expect would cause the stock market to lose something like 90% of its value, uh, or more, uh, because they are some fraction of the current stock market's value as a result of inflationary asset bubble. And what we're seeing now is the leaking out of that inflationary asset bubble, which is while the COVID has supercharged it is not limited to COVID. It's actually our response to the 2008 crisis, which has been to blow an inflationary super bubble, uh, in order to, to sort of solve the housing crisis problem. So I'm living in a home that my mother originally bought, um, for about a fifth of what it's currently assessed at. Yeah. Um, I moved into this house when I was, let's see, 16. um, And my mother moved out when I was about 26. uh, And I've been living here the entire time. Um, I got to say, I haven't made this place five times nicer in the last. (laughs) I've done a a couple of things. um, uh, that There's some freshening up. But, uh, it's not five times nicer than it used to be. It's the same square footage. It's in the same place in the city. Um, none of that changed. Yeah. So where did that, you know, 400% increase come from? Well, inflation is where it yeah. came from. And, and that 400% increase is in my house. Maybe, I mean, if I sold it, yeah. um, but it hasn't happened to. Gasoline and bread and and you know and everything else yet, but it will. Yeah, uh, because the money's got to go someplace, and and unless uh, unless the Fed wants to reset the price of my house back to what it was in the 90s, along with everyone else's, which would completely wipe out all the wealth of. Essentially, every successful person in America. Yeah. Which I don't think they got the stomach for. Um, yeah.
0: Do you um? So even though there's other driving factors to inflation, do you think a lot of it could be that? Well, I guess always growing up and what I was taught, you know, as more states implement higher uh, minimum wages. Now, do you think that minimum wage is you know? going to match inflation? Or do you think inflation just naturally occurs because you know, people are making more money?
1: Well, Milton Friedman's argument is pretty solid that inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. Yeah, um, And I take a, a information theoretic point of view of, of these things. So money is is a mechanism is the unit that we measure price signals in and price signals are signals they're information so you go to the store and you know there's bacon and pork shoulder and ground beef and sirloin and, and everything else and you look out and you look at a set of prices and you say i'm a meat eater and i'm going to be eating chicken because it's the kind of meat that i like for the price that i see yeah. or you say i'm going to be eating bacon wrapped sirloins because those taste really good and yeah. I'm, I'm rich enough to, to live like that. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's, what's going on. Um, now on the other side of this, uh, we have a financial system and a government backing up that financial system that can print money. Yeah. this is this is what we were talking about before with the crypto guys having you know something of a point about this um and if you think about that in a personal rather than sort of a global context um you know counterfeiting is illegal and there's yeah. good reasons for counterfeiting to be illegal because if you could counterfeit money illegally yeah. um it's not just the bacon wrapped sirloin, like, you know, you could wallpaper your house in the Mona Lisa, like, like you just buy whatever you want yeah. because money doesn't mean anything to you. And then the money that you spend is now resident in the economy and circulating around, um, and so that extra money circulating the economy is where inflation comes from. Now, what we've been seeing happen is that there's sort of a, almost a class system where, you know, sort of money is ricocheting in a, in a small portion of of the economy. And so that's where the minimum wage people have something of a point is that if you sort of force through some sort of legal change in wage level money out of that into this more general economy, then all the other prices have to go too. Um, but that's not sort of causing inflation. That's that's sort of causing people to be aware of some of inflation. Oh, Um, all right. And so what's sort of actually going on is when the stock market goes up, some of that is inflation. How much of it is inflation? Well hopefully less than hundred percent, maybe yeah. more than hundred percent when the price of your house goes up or, uh, when the cost of used cars increases, all of these things, um, when the prices of commodities fluctuate, some of that is related to this sort of funny money, if you will. And some of it isn't. And one of the things going once again, back to the wall street bets boys, The reason the shorts were in such extreme duress is because the way wall street itself operates, they can essentially create stocks that will circulate as stocks to serve as the counterparties for the shorts, which means that companies can be more than a hundred percent short. Yeah. And, and in a marketplace, that doesn't have a corruption in the, in the size of the the, the system, shorting a stock over a hundred percent, um, would not merely be fraudulent. It would also lose an enormous amount of money. Yeah. Um, which is essentially what the wall street bets guys were like, Oh, these guys are over a hundred percent short. Therefore we can just take money away from them. Um, <laughs> Uh, essentially, so what a short is, is an agreement to buy something in the future. If you are, uh, let's see, that's, that's right. Yes. I, I always have to work this through my head.
0: I always thought that like the shorting You're process right. was how so
1: it would... it's, it's, so yes. So you've sold, you've sold something you don't own basically. Yeah. So you have to buy it back. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're agreeing to buy something in the future, essentially, to be short. And, and since, so if there's a marketplace where you can, you know, buy, buy from, that's fine. But if you've agreed to say, buy this from me in the future and the future r- rolls around and I still own it. Yeah. Um, I can charge you anything I feel like, like you yeah. have to buy it. I've decided that this is worth a trillion dollars. Are you worth a trillion dollars? Well, that's too bad. Um, and so if it's over hundred percent, there's no slack. Yeah. If, if you're like 90% short, then you can go find people in the market and sort of beg them for whatever they want and start selling it off to the person you're, you have to sell it to. But if you're 110% short, even after you've begged, like even if the people you owe it to own none of it, Once you've begged all of it from the marketplace and sold it to them, you have to go to them for the last 10%. Uh And, and they're, they're, they're in the the position. They're like, Oh, that's cool. What's your net worth look like? You know, how about your kids? Do they have a future? Like (laughs) it's, it's very, very bad. Um, so yeah, uh, we've seen this situation where we've effectively been able to print an enormous amount of money. Um, you know, that we've been running trillion dollar deficits since Barack Obama got elected. Yeah. Um, and, and Trump, if anything, accelerated that. Uh, and Biden has no signs of, of, you know, slowing things down yeah. at all. So why, why wouldn't inflation accelerate? Um, I, I can't, I, I can't see a reason.
0: All right. That's, 100% fair. I see that now. Um, so one of my favorite talking points is um, Kathy Wood. I'm sure you're familiar with her and in ARK Invest. So a lot of the, I guess, opinions that are coming out now is the fact that she takes very general knowledge and she puts it out there as being something as esoteric or something of sorts. Um I still believe she's a great investor, but what are your opinions on, you know, ARK Invest and what she does?
1: Um, I don't have particularly strong opinions on her herself. Yeah. Um, I, I think that there there is a sort of underestimation of the power of straightforwardness yeah. um, uh, because there's a lot of power in that coordination so she's she's sort of playing a, a more legitimate version of, of the other game of just like staking a, um, a, a reasonable position and getting other people to, to join her and then winning um i think uh Kane's, um uh called it the like the bathing beauty problem or something of of like, you know, somebody's got a bunch of stocks to pick, they pick one, they buy it, it goes up. Yeah. Then they announce that they're a genius. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And, and, you know, and the bathing beauty is it's, it's not a great metaphor, but the notion is that, um, you know, if there's, if there's a like bikini contest, all of the women are in fact beautiful. Yeah. Um, and so the winner, okay. She's touted as, as the most beautiful woman, like on stage or in the country or in the world or something, but there, nobody goes into those contests unless they're already beautiful. And so whoever they picked, if, if they, you know, rolled a die or, you know, had some, a blind man sort of like walk through and knock somebody over, like it doesn't matter whoever you put on the front page is going to be the winner and yeah. and the, and the most beautiful and so that the stocks have the same sort of issue where in addition to fundamentals and everything else just that sort of social proofing thing also yeah. works and that's actually a problem um you you would probably prefer to have accurate information which probably isn't yeah you know whichever random thing it is
0: yeah it's um you kind of see the uh i guess the social situation with i don't know like you could say uh twitter for instance you know ark invest just sold off 80% of its twitter stake within the last month so then twitter stock you know goes down and it's just because one major name is like yeah i don't want it anymore but right it's like I feel that that's always been my problem with it is a lot of the stocks within ARK Invest you look at and you're like, I have no clue how these even have, you know, even a position here. How do they even have a position, you know, in an innovation ETF? It just doesn't make sense. And to a lot of people, they were saying basically just how you said, you know, she's taking these normal stocks, normal everyday stocks. There's no, you know, they've been around for 30 years. It's nothing new, nothing like that. She's throwing them into ETFs, and then they, you know, they grow. And to your point, you know, maybe it is just because she's buying, you know, billions of dollars worth at one time, so she's pumping, you know, the stock. Maybe it goes up that way. Um, off topic of economics and all. What? Um, so to the point you're at now, um, could you give three influential people to you? Um, you know who's you know, driven you to make the decisions you've made, who's driven you to, you know, pursue the goal that you have, um, et cetera,
1: et cetera. Uh, well, I have, I've met a few people along the way that have really helped uh, uh, shape my thinking. But uh, first and foremost, a friend of mine who used to be my sore neighbor, um, Uh, when I worked out that I'd come up with this way to price transaction costs, I, I walked over to his house and was like, Hey, I just figured out how to price transaction costs. And so I started explaining to him was explaining to you and he said, well, can you predict the stock market with that? I said, no, no, you can't because you'd have to pay more than the information was worth because, you know, the information's worth something. So that's why people are, are doing it. Um, and I was, uh, walking back to my house afterwards, and i had this thought what if what if instead of having this sort of information coalition coalescing like like application you could stick a a recursive layer in and have a system that that sort of had its own point of view and that could be a marketplace and so that's what set me on the path of actually working out how to use this approach to create marketplaces. Um, and, and it's tricky, but it's doable. Um, and that was, that was a a pretty major, uh, thing. Um, second one, once I actually sort of got into going, um, I, uh, I went to a score, um, which is a volunteer, uh, thing that works with, uh, businesses through Chamber of Commerce. Huh. And, and my score volunteer there, they're fairly basic advice. They, they, they mostly focus on getting people to write business plans. You know, lots yeah. of entrepreneurs are sort of want to be hobbyists to business people. So, you know, it's like, I, I do macrame, what if I sold macrame? Yeah, and then you sit down and do the math and you either work out that, you know, you have to charge $10,000 per per potholder or you work out that, you know, you can live like a king on the number of potholders you make. And, and until you sit down and do the math, you don't know what that is. Um, and uh, uh, but that that was a valuable exercise. And that's that is always a valuable exercise, you know, sitting down and working through how the pieces are supposed to fit together um, and, and be economically viable. Um, it's really easy to have ideas that are impressive to you. Um, there's, a, there's a thing anybody can can write a code that they can't break. Um, but uh, it's still it's still a process. And so so getting getting the code at least up to the level that you can't break it lots of people don't get that far. Um, And then putting it out in front of of other people and saying, Hey, can you break this Uh, becomes becomes the next step. Um, And then uh, next, uh, it's, it gets, it gets a bit more amorphous than that. I've had, I've had a lot of people uh, along the journey, you know, make, make some critical introductions uh, uh, you know, really help out with, with feedback on things, um, just make requests that led to questions like my, my white paper exists because, uh, a guy that worked for IEX asked if I had a white paper. So I was like, let me get on that for you. (laughs) Um,
0: so outside of, you know, influential people. Uh, you know, there's, there's actually a study that, and it, I guess it came back, you know, true what the hypothesis was, but it, it states that, you know, Gen X and some of the millennial population, actually, there's an increase in, you know, reading books. And don't ask me how, because anywhere I look around me, nobody reads books. But, you know, I I like books, I like podcasts as well. So Asking you, what would be you know your top reads? If you don't read, what would be your top?
1: I top might top? be I might be personally the reason for that. I've read thousands and thousands of books. I own about two thousand books, Holy uh, uh, and and um, I've read innumerable books in my life. I don't get to read nearly as much as I like to uh, because I'm working on networking and, and programming and other things around. Core disc, uh, but yes, I would dearly love to go back to being able to read uh, several hours a day yeah. um, So Top three that's 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 tough um, One of the best pieces of science fiction in the 20th century is uh, citizen of the galaxy by Robert Heinlein um, It's part of his juveniles uh, which Starship Troopers is probably the most famous one a very popular film that almost totally inverts everything about the book uh was released uh, about it um but uh Heinlein is an incredibly influential science fiction writer um he invented a lot of the the, the sort of Big tropes like alien mind control. Like he wrote the first one of those stories. Um, uh, the 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 you know human imperial conquest of the galaxy. He didn't write the first one of those, but Starship Troopers is sort of the definitive one of those. Yeah. Um, and and he he hit a lot of touch points that we don't really think about so much these days but are still relevant um so he had a book called space cadet for example which is the first of his his books that i read that uh that posits a world where there's a special command that's in charge of the nuclear weapons that that enforces world peace and they have they have nuclear bombs in polar orbit around the earth at all times. So at the end of the day, world peace is enforced because if any nation decides to get uppity, they could just, they could just rain down, you yeah. know, hellfire. Um, they don't, there's a, there's a separate force called the space Marines they are sort of subordinate to them, but the, the cadets, uh, are the entry point for this, this group that's in charge, the, the. Space Patrol is in charge of maintaining human peace in the solar system. Um, and and he, you know, it's a book for really teenage boys, but he, he gets into the, the moral questions involved in having a weapon that's essentially only good for committing genocide. Yeah. Um, but Citizen of the Galaxy is, in my opinion, his best work. And it's set in a almost star Wars, like, you know, far flung, distant galaxy of of the future, uh, where there isn't an overarching government of everything. And slavery is actually quite common. And our main character begins life as a slave and is sold to a beggar in the opening scene of the book and he grows up and experiences uh, multiple different cultures before ultimately discovering that he's actually the richest human being that exists and that the organization that he owns um is partially corrupt and is involved in slavery and that his parents attempt to clean that organization up is why they were killed and he was captured and, and lived life as a slave right. and and so he, uh, dedicates himself to the, the eradication of, of slavery, uh, in, in the galaxy. And it's fascinating. There's, um, there's multiple interacting cultures, um, and, and sort of very important message and, a uh, incredible characters. It's, it's fantastic. Um, good. the works of Raymond Smullyan, um, are, are just fantastic um he he wraps sort of stories and puzzles around uh basic mathematical concepts um uh i'd say probably the most readable uh and and sort of generally valuable of them is called uh, the lady or the tiger uh which you know is based on the name of the short story uh but it has a large number of of interesting puzzles um and and some rather odd understandings of how logic functions um he he really gets into extracting information from unreliable sources uh, without sort of establishing their reliability um, so trust-free uh, protocols, which are, I think, really going to be critically important in terms of this lowering the corruption of, of our systems. Um, so creating systems where either people are incentivized to be truthful or it doesn't matter whether or not they're truthful, their output's still valuable, um, becomes becomes critical of that. Um, and then in... Uh, In the fantasy genre um i think uh i think i might go for the memory sorrow and thorn trilogy by tad williams um it's it's a little bit more exciting than lord of the rings Uh, it does take a couple hundred pages to pick up um but once our once our hero uh meets meets uh is his first non-humans um things things really start to pick up and there's another two thousand plus pages uh of of the fun stuff so so that's it's pretty cool uh it's it's a it's not as ambitious as as tolkien's work or as deep um but uh it's it's a fantasy world with that that is a melding of a lot of uh existing uh european sort of mythic traditions um but his elves and trolls are much more rooted in the in sort of the the fairy folk traditions so well tolkienian elves um were more like angels than than characters um his elves are more like the she of the of the you know British Isles the celtic tradition um his trolls are more like goblins um and so on, and so that's that 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 provides some sort of very interesting twists to that that sort of character uh structure, so I guess that will be my three
0: all right, awesome so that's um. Honestly, those are the questions I have. I'd like to thank you. I feel honestly, I feel that I've gotten a better insight as to how the economic functions work. I will be honest.